Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So thankful that you're joining us today. This is part two on the broadcast of the greatest gift ever given. The best gift anybody could give is the gift of salvation. Yesterday, we learned the fact that God gave us Jesus. Jesus gave his life. And so lastly, we want to talk about the fact that if this is true, then we ought to be willing to give ourselves over to him because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So Jesus gave himself so we should give ourselves to God. This is a wonderful opportunity that God has given to us. In Philippians chapter four, it says, at the moment, Paul says, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent to me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs for his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So here's my question. Have you given Jesus all of you? Holding nothing back, have you given him your all? I read recently that 39.2% of shoppers will purchase a department store gift card for friends and family, followed by 33.4% of shoppers opting for a restaurant gift card. But according to the estimates reported in the Journal of State Taxation, the typical American home has an average of 300 unused, unredeemed gift cards. These gift cards are often misplaced, uh, accidentally thrown out, or only partially redeemed. Between 2005 and 2011, 41 billion in gift cards were unused. Uh, So when I mentioned that to my congregation, I said, now listen, if you have any gift cards that you're not using, give them to me. I'll use them. As we think about that, we may chuckle a little bit. But I wonder if God's gift to you will be redeemed, whether it's going to be used or if it's just going to be left in a drawer. God has given us the costliest gift imaginable. But just think, like all the gifts that you've been given on Christmas, you have to receive it, you have to open it, you have to use it. Will you do that? To begin with, that means that that you believe it and that you receive it. You receive Jesus Christ into your life and you trust him as your Savior. Then you begin to learn what it means to follow him and to enjoy him and to love him. A Christmas card says it very well. The Word did not become a philosophy to be discussed. The Word did not become a theory to be debated or a concept to be pondered. The Word became a person to be followed, enjoyed, and loved. So will you do that? Will you give yourself completely over to Christ using the gifts that He gives you to be a blessing to others? You know, we just came through Christmas, and it's the most wonderful time of the year. One of the passages that I spent a lot of time thinking about during the Christmas season was John 8, 12, where Jesus is speaking to the people, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When I think about light, You know, one of the most iconic attractions when visiting New York City is Times Square. Times Square stretches out over five blocks along Broadway, 
and then it spreads out several more blocks covering the entire theater district. What draws tourists to the area is not only the world-class theaters, but the city lights. Times Square is lit up by the largest concentration of electronic billboards on the planet. According to Con Edison, the theater district is estimated that at peak consumption, will use around 161 megawatts of power at one time. Now, to put that into perspective, that is enough power to light up 161,000 homes. That is twice the amount of electricity used in all of the casinos in Las Vegas. Now, that's a lot of power. Now, when Jesus came, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have you got that light? When Jesus says we will never walk in darkness, what is that referring to? What does that mean? Well, you know, in the Christmas carol, there is that old curmudgeon Ebenezer Scrooge. And when he saw the light, he embraced generosity. When the Grinch that stole Christmas, when he saw the light, he gave back the gifts that he stole. And he even said this at the end of that classic movie, at the end of that wonderful children's story that has been put into numerous different movies. He says that Christmas came. It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. You see, Jesus was born in a lonely manger. Maybe Christmas, the Grinch said, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. For unto us is born this day, unto us a son is given, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from sin. You see, the Grinch saw the light and had a drastic change in his life. Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage in Matthew chapter 4. And he says, you know, the people living in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to be preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I want you to know that this light is is available. As we think about how it is reflected in our culture today, I think we can find light if we're looking for it. Another one of my favorite Christmas programs is Home Alone. I especially like the very first one where Kevin sees the light and his family makes it home for Christmas. The bandits are hauled off to jail and the old man reunites with his family. Mr. Marley. Isn't it ironic? His name is Mr. Marley. It was old man Marley in the movie Scrooge who visits his brother Scrooge and reminds him or informs him that he has these change that he's forged in life. And that if old Scrooge doesn't have a change of heart, that his fate will be even worse. And then there's another one uh, that I really love called It's a Wonderful Life. You see, when George Bailey sees the light, he realizes the value of his life. You know, there was a little boy in a Christmas program, and his mom feared that he might forget his lines. So she positioned herself on the front row to prompt him. Sure enough, when it was his turn to give the lines, his mind went blank. He totally forgot what he was supposed to say. 
So she mouthed the words, But to no avail. His mind was completely blank. Finally, she leaned in and she whispered the cue, I am the light of the world. The child beamed with a great feeling and belted out, My mother is the light of the world. Well, not quite. Sometimes we don't get the story exactly right, but John didn't mix words when he says, I'm not the light. I am referring to the light. I'm a witness to tell you about that light. The one who lights the way to peace is none other than Jesus. You see, if we don't follow that light, we will never know peace, but will always be cast in darkness. But God stepped into the crisis of darkness, and he turned the lights on. Scripture tells us that the crisis was bad. It looked like from an eternal perspective, there was no hope whatsoever. But in comes the Word. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. You see, on that first Christmas, some 2,000 years ago, the light came into the world. And with that light was peace, and, and with that was joy. When Jesus was born, the light came on. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You see, when Jesus was born, everything changed. God, who was high and lifted up, became lowly, lying in a manger. You see, the independent God became dependent as a baby, and God lowered Himself. God took on the form of a man. And so my question is, will you receive this light? You know, John tells us that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You know, there's a bumper sticker that maybe you have seen that's on the back of a car and it says, born right the first time. I want you to know that is not true. The first time that we were born, that physical birth, we were born in sin and and in iniquity, David says, my mother conceived me. You see, we were born with a sin gene. Now, we don't know exactly where that sin gene is, but we do know that it is a terminal gene. Every one of us one day will die. It doesn't matter if we get a new heart and new lungs and and, uh, new eyes and, and a whole lot of new body parts. I promise you, You're not going to make it past 120 years old. That is given to us as an Old Testament reminder. Way back in the book of Genesis, after God destroyed the world by a flood, he made a promise. He says, I'm never going to destroy the world by a flood. He gave that rainbow as a promise, but he also said something else. And many times we miss this. He says, my spirit will not always strive with man's spirit. By strength of days, man shall live 120 years. You know, it's a major transition after the flood. Before the flood, we had guys like Methuselah that were living well into 900 years. Something happened environmentally, something happened spiritually that greatly reduced the years that were alive on this planet. 
Some of it was physical, like the atmosphere changed. There was a great canopy uh, that was over the earth. And, and when the flood took place, it uh, talks about the volcanoes breaking up and water coming from up into the earth, but also the canopy over the earth was dropped. That's how the world was flooded. After that canopy is removed, a lot of the atmosphere now, we have more exposure, less protection. So that's part of the reason I think that we don't live quite as long, but it's also a spiritual component. My spirit will not always strive with man's spirit. You see, one of the reasons I believe that God has reduced the time frame that we live in this world is so that we can spend less time focused on the evils and dealing with the evils of our world. That's my personal opinion. You don't have to necessarily agree with that, but something changes after the flood. But when we receive Christ, we are born not of flesh, not of the will of man, not of the blood of humans, but we're born of God. We become a new creation. When I looked at that subject of light, I love talking about light. The Bible talks a lot about light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. The first time that word light is found is in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then throughout scriptures, we see that word light appears 263 times from Genesis to Revelation. So the first time God speaks light into existence, he says, let there be light. And lo and behold, there was light. (laughs) Some people say, well, how did all this happen? I believe in the big bang theory, right? God spoke it, bang, it happened, right? He said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke it into existence. And then the last time that we see this word light is in heaven. Now, notice in Genesis chapter 1, God speaking about light, bringing light. But then we get to Revelation 22, verse number 5. The scene is in heaven. John is writing about what the scene is going to be in heaven. And he says, in heaven, there will be no more night. There will be no more need of light or lamp or the sun. That's S-U-N. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You know, in heaven, there's no light as far as the the sunlight. There's the light of the sun, S-O-N. The Lord will be our light, and we will reign with him forever. All this is made possible because Jesus is the light of the world. I want you to really think about that subject of Jesus being the light of the world. Think about how much we use light in our world today. It was a dark time when Jesus came. It was a time where for 400 years, God had not spoken. They were anticipating the coming of the Messiah, but it appeared that he was not going to come because it had been so long. I know sometimes I feel like, man, uh, our country has gone so far south, so bad, so quickly. How could this have happened? But in the light of eternity, the American system is only a couple hundred years old. In the light of even human history, we have over 5,000 years of human history. We are kind of just a speck. And I know that we have risen to prominence, but as I look at prophecy, I don't see the United States in the prophetic picture. So that means that we're going to probably be absorbed 
with another country that is mentioned in the Bible, or either that or we're going to be totally done away with. I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but I do know that dark times were facing the world before Jesus came. His light was so powerful that we now divide human history into two segments, before the coming of Christ and after the coming of Christ. When Jesus comes again, the rapture is going to take place, then there'll be seven years of tribulation, then there's the second coming of Christ. At the second coming of Christ, that will be the end of human history as we know it. There'll be a new era. There'll be an eternal era that we'll be living up in heaven for those who know Christ. It'll also be a new beginning for those who don't know Christ. They'll no longer have an opportunity to be a recipient of the light of God. They won't be exposed to the sun, S-O-N. They'll be separated from him. I often tell people uh, the worst thing about hell is not the fire and, and not the torment and not even the sensation of always falling down. And it's called the bottomless pit. The worst thing about hell is Jesus is not there. It's a place of utter hopelessness and helplessness. Can you imagine what it would be like to be thirsty and never being able to get anything to drink? That's why that rich man, when he woke up and he saw Lazarus at a distance and and he could speak with him and he could hear him, but there's a great chasm, a great gulf between the two of them. And he says, would you send Lazarus and allow him just to touch my tongue with just a drop of that everlasting water? You see, he knew that that everlasting water would quench his thirst for eternity, but he couldn't get it. Uh, He was prohibited from having that eternal life, because when he has, was given the opportunity, he rejected it. You know, there's only one sin that you can commit that will keep you separated from God for all of eternity. It's not the sin of murder. It's not the sin of homosexuality. It's not the sin of lying or cheating. It's not the sin of desiring something that doesn't belong to you, coveting something. It's not even the sin of adultery. The only sin that you can commit that will ultimately keep you out of God's heaven is rejecting the Holy Spirit, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, rejecting this free gift that is given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Today, would you accept this free gift? It's something that you can't earn. You can't work for it. You know, when I was just a little boy at at the age of six, I had the opportunity to hear the gospel. I I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. And I remember one Sunday night, I was about halfway back in this church, and it was a Sunday night service. And and, and back in the day, you used to do Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church. And and you were considered a faithful, good Christian if you went to church three days a week. And now it's uh, at the point where if you show up once a month or twice a month, uh, you consider yourself fairly faithful. I want you to know I was sitting back in that church And Pastor Gillette gave a message. I'm not sure what the message was all about, but but at the end, there was an invitation that was given, an invitation to go forward. And I remember sitting back there uh, with my mom and and asking her, what people, why are they going forward? And she said, well, you know, some people are going up there to um, just to pray. You know, something heavy on their heart, and they're just going up there to pray. And she said, well, some people are going up there to uh, to unite with the church. They want to become members of the church, and and uh, so they're going to meet with the pastor and become members. And 
And then she said, well, you know, some people might be going up there to get saved. And I heard that word saved, but I never really understood what it meant to me personally. And so I said to my mom, I said, you know, I've never been saved. And she says, well, that is a decision that only you can make. I can't make that decision for you. And as a six-year-old boy, she told me to go on up, and uh, I had to walk down that aisle, and it felt like it was 100 miles long, and, and it really wasn't that long of a walk, but I walked down, and the pastor shook my hand, and the pastor mentioned to Mrs. Banks, my first grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Banks was over there, and, and he motioned for her to come over, and, uh, and she took me to a little side room, and she led me to the Lord using John 3.16, for God so loved Calvin that he gave his only begotten son, that if Calvin should believe in him, Calvin should not perish, but have everlasting life. I pray to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know, that was over 50 years ago. It is amazing to me that it was that long ago. A few years later, I was baptized. Just a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go back to that very same church where I was saved. And it's kind of a surreal moment when you go there because the church really hasn't changed. The, the building's still there. That same sanctuary is still there. Oh, yeah, they took out the pews and uh, they made some updates. Now they have the chairs instead of the pews. But that same floor plan is there and that same sanctuary is there. And the room that is next to the sanctuary where the choir used to practice is now kind of like a welcome center. And, and it was in that little room that I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's where my life began, this new journey with Christ, just as a six-year-old boy. Listen, you can begin a new life. It's a new year, a new opportunity for you. Why don't you this year say, you know what, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to receive this free gift of salvation. I'm going to become a follower of Christ. I'm going to commit my life to following His. I'm going to get into His Word I'm going to get into a, a group of other believers where I can grow in my faith. Listen, we were never meant to walk the Christian life by ourselves. And so God gives us his wonderful family to do life together with. I'm so thankful for my small group. We gather together every Monday night. We have a meal together. We spend some time in God's word together. We pray for one another. We support one another. We encourage one another. But recently, one of our members passed away. And it's our small group that's going to come together to support that widow and to support that family. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God so also loved the world that he gave us this wonderful institution called the church. The church is a Greek word, ekklesia. It's a, it's a fascinating word. It's not just talking about a group of people that are gathering, but it's talking about a group of people that have been called out of the world and into the church. You see, when you were born again, you not only became a member of the universal church, but God wants you to be part of the local church, the local congregation, where we are promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know there is safety when you're in God's church. You are less likely to get discouraged when you are in a church. Why? Because you have brothers and sisters that encourage you, that challenge you to keep on going. There's safety in numbers. There's safety as you unify together. You know, Jesus prayed for the church. In John chapter 17, 
He says, I'm going to pray for those who are going to be future believers. And this is my prayer. I'm going to pray that they're going to be united together as one, just as my father and I are united together as one. There's something about a church that gets together and unites around a common cause of glorifying God together. You see, God wants you in his church. Maybe this is the year that you finally get connected with the church. You know, maybe you've been listening to the radio and and doing church from home and, and you realize, listen, I need to be with other believers. I need to be connected with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, why don't you come on out to Hickory Ridge Community Church? Listen, we're not the only church in the area. There are lots of great churches here in the Hampton Roads area. Uh, My goal is not necessarily to get you to my church, but my goal is to get you in a church because that's where you're protected. That's where you grow. Well, listen, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God will empower you in this new year. If there's something specifically that I can pray for you, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-2365? And I promise you, I will pray for you. I will personally pray for you, and I'll get about 15 or 20 other believers that will pray for you. Begin this new year praying and fervently seeking God's face. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Have a wonderful afternoon. Be safe on the highway as you're driving today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.